0: of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important, yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis.
1: Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task. Developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high-quality one-day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit profit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought-provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit profit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guests as hands down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If you you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, Heather. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. You and I just spent a few minutes sort of catching up. We have known each other, uh, we'll say, on social media and virtually for quite some time. Uh, we've got some mutual friends. Um, and uh, and so we were sort of connecting the dots between you know who and I know who. And uh, and so I'm delighted that we finally found some time to meet in this virtual space and got a cup of coffee in my hand. So we're sort of having our, our first virtual cup of coffee and having a conversation today. Um, I, one of the things I always say, maybe you've heard me say this before, Heather, uh, I always like getting to uh, having my Canadian guests on the podcast because they're just, they just seem to be friendlier people. So there's something about <laughs> the, the Canadian conversations tend to go um, not, not any more or less bold, uh, but just friendlier people. So I like, my, uh, I like my Canadian friends. Glad to have you here, Heather. Before we dive into our conversation, how about you just introduce yourself to our listeners?
2: Well, thanks so much for having me on the podcast today, Jason. It is such a pleasure. Uh, I think of you as a very friendly person out in the world, and and it, um, you know, following you over time, I've learned so much. So it's like a real pleasure to be here. I have been in the nonprofit sector pretty much my whole career, uh, and ever since um, you know the mid '90s, I answered an ad in like one of these local newspapers. Uh, that that used to be around, probably has suffered the demise in, in journalism, uh, print journalism, but uh, to go uh, with an international NGO and set up an office um, in Guyana. And that was the beginning of me uh, paid employment in the nonprofit sector, although I'd volunteered long before that. And I stayed with programming for a few years and then eventually moved over into fundraising. And um, I've been a fundraiser ever since... Did all the things kind of fundraising for a few years, but since 2009, I have been a niche fundraiser in corporate partnerships, so really have focused uh, all my energies on being an expert in this area of corporate partnerships. Six years ago, I started my own consultancy called Bridge Raise, and we're a small team um, who work with charities and nonprofits on their corporate partnerships in a really relationship first, values aligned. We want them to feel good about their work sort of way. Uh, And that has brought me here to this conversation. So that's a little bit about me.
1: Heather, as I'm listening to you, I'm sort of reminded of, um, I probably haven't said this in a while, but are, are are you one of those types like myself who... Didn't even know that this world sort of existed. I, I think I knew that the nonprofit world existed, but even – and and my wife and I went to work for a children's home at the beginning of our career, and, and, and I didn't even know that the – I probably – I didn't know too much of the extent of what the nonprofit sector was, and I sure as hell didn't know what fundraising was. Is that kind of part of your story too? It's like, oh my gosh, you just sort of opened up the – the pandora's box to all this stuff that 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 sort of exists in the world that we didn't even know was there is was is that part of your story as well?
2: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I I was one of those university students who got right into all the um volunteerism that existed in the the university I was at and even then I still didn't gathered that there was paid employment right. inside of sort of the management and programming side of things like this, this whole professionalization of fundraising, uh, you know, eluded me as as an actual job until I got into the sector. And then I realized how well it suited me, right? Like, I had a business degree, I was in the nonprofit sector, you know, Some might say I enjoy chatting with people and, you know, building relationships and that kind of thing. So yeah, it was really, once I saw the job and realized it was paid employment, I knew it's what I was (laughs) meant to do, but it did not, you know, it wasn't on the list under doctor, lawyer, and teacher fundraiser (laughs) was not there. And um, it's too bad because, um, You know, I probably took a bit more circuitous educational pathway than I might have um, now that there's such, you know, sort of more specific types of education. And I didn't have mentors that I could go talk to pre getting into the into the workplace uh, that were doing the work. Uh, which, you know, now when I talk to um, people who are looking all the time, I talk to um, people who are entering into the sector or considering entering the sector, sometimes from corporate too, because I do corporate partnerships. That's, you know, something that people reach out all about, um, to me all about. And it is, you know, such a different conversation to be having when you can talk to someone who's already doing the work before you, you make the decision to... To delve into it, so I, you know, I wish I'd had that then. But nope, I got on the job experience, and yeah, and uh, never looked back.
1: Do, do you do you remember? So you and I are sort of have a very similar timeline and a, a very similar sort of career story in some ways. But we're that generation that I don't think exists in large numbers anymore, where we sort of came through the back door, and and we sort of have that story. That wasn't intentional. I think, like I think about the students that I teach over at the college that are te- te- taking nonprofit management courses and stuff, and I don't hear young people, you know, right out of college, saying that um, that they didn't know it existed. You know, they they wouldn't describe it in perhaps the way you and I would. Um, uh, they don't come through the back door. They don't land in a program uh, role. Um, a lot of people are much more deliberate and intentional. Do you pick up on that as well?
2: Yes, absolutely, I do. I think uh, that the decision to become a fundraiser is, is much more of a decision yes. than, you know, I was in programming, I was writing the, the government grants, and oh, then a few foundations got thrown in there too. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, you know, I'm actually quite good at this part of the work. And I enjoy this part of the work. And And honestly, because I was in international development work, I actually got to the point where I didn't want to travel so much as the people on the program side. So then I was like, well, maybe I'll look a little bit more closely at this fundraising thing and uh, and decided to do that. Um, But I also have taught introduction to fundraising at a university here in Canada. uh, And... uh, yeah those individuals have chosen this career pathway right, right? and and uh, I feel not that it chose me. I did decide to become a fundraiser and very quickly you know was very comfortable calling myself a fundraiser. I've never been someone that was like you know not comfortable- you know kind of calling it as it is um I am a fundraiser now i'm a corporate fun corporate fundraiser uh you know but definitely didn't have that um advanced view of what the job would be like before I started doing it.
1: Yeah, I don't go around the. Remember, (laughs) so remember at the beginning of our careers, remember how many times around you'd go around and around with people who maybe were uh, maybe more senior to us, and they they do they wouldn't own the uh, they wouldn't own the fundraising title. But I think there's uh, I think among among our cohort, we just sort of own it. We say we're fundraisers, and we sort of get beyond it, and so we're not Mm -hmm. constantly. I remember those first five or 10 years in fundraising. It was like this constant reinvention of what the hell we were actually doing. And now I think we actually own it. And now we got young people who want to own it. It's like, it's kind of like a continuation of, uh, you know, it, that's part of that evolution that I think some of us are picking up on. Um, Heather, we always ask our guests to come in here with a big idea or bold opinion. You know the show, you know that you're familiar enough with the conversations that we've had. Um, I have no idea, for the sake of my listeners, I have no idea what direction Heather wants to go with this. Um, What do you got for us today?
2: Okay, here it goes. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say charities, or more specifically, corporate fundraisers, vastly underestimate their organization's value to corporations. And when this is the case, they really can't build a corporate partnership that is any good.
1: Oh, you got to unravel. Okay, right. Okay, so I I, I know you well enough, and I, I follow your stuff enough to know where you're going, but um, but I can't even jump in there. So you're gonna have to unravel that one for a while.
2: <laughs> sure, I'm gonna do that for you. Okay. So let's start with this. That I think traditionally, maybe for a few reasons. Let me go through a few reasons. Uh, that that charities may start from a place where they really underestimate their value. That. Probably partially comes from the fact that in the beginning times of corporate fundraising or corporate investment in charities, there was a bit of a companies would do good by sending checks, right? That that there was a time where that happened. That time is is not now, <laughs> but there was that time. So we hear all the time this idea like companies are going to do good and they're going to give my organization money. And I think the history of thinking that was a very transactional sort of thing and just out of doing good that has um, led to a legacy of not thinking as much about why the relationship and the value between the two organizations is an important thing to, to harness. Yeah. And so, you know, even the language around like recipient charity kind of
1: creates
2: this situation where, you know, I think charities have, you know, traditionally maybe thought to themselves that they could just do their good work and receive money from companies. And I'm saying, I don't believe that is any longer the case. And, and, that's okay because the, those charities and those corporate fundraisers, they have so much of value without putting themselves into pretzels. But actually, doing what they do, they have things of value that make sense for a company to want to give them money to invest in that to co-create opportunities to create a real partnership.
0: Yeah. But
1: you,
2: if you're a charity and you go into this without understanding your value, then you you can't possibly create a partnership that has value between you right because it's the everything about it is imbalanced and and undefined and it it just can't create a good partnership that um, that is like a few things I look for in good partnership values aligned there's a good investment that makes sense for the organizations involved And that's gonna last, right? That's gonna evolve over time. Like, we want, that's what we want from a partnership. And you can't get there if you don't even know what you have to bring to the table.
1: I remember, I remember reading, so Jennifer McRae, uh, wrote the Generosity Network a number of years ago. She teaches, uh, she teaches philanthropy at Harvard. And I remember reading her book and she used the word supplicant. We sort of sit in this supplicant sort of receiving sort of posture. And she, she sort of dismantles that way of thinking and says, that's not the way we should approach it. And I remember similarly, sometime around the same time that I read that book, and I think this is the direction you're going. I remember saying to I – was, I was invited to be a part of a panel, and I said something in the middle of the conversation that really got some people stirred up in a very positive way. The idea that, that we need to learn how to host the party, like we always want to be the ones that are invited to the party, but maybe the nonprofit sector needs to see themselves more as the host of the party, not always sort of desiring to be invited to the party. Does that make sense? Is that the direction you're sort of going with this? <laughs>
2: Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, when I look at, uh, you know, reflect on your using your models of different lanes. Right. I think yeah. some people want corporate fundraising to be a lane one where you just like send an email and you get a check.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
2: But it's not right. It's a lane two or even a lane three. There needs to yep. be this um, understanding of what, you know, what your party is, good, what what kind of party we could have together. Right because we're I'm you know I'm bringing the food and someone else is bringing you know the party guests, uh, and maybe the charity in this case is bringing the party guests right the, the the community that they that the company wants to connect with, the people with lived experience, the people who understand the issue that, that the company wants to invest in you, you know if 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 the the charity understands the value that some of those things can bring to this partnership and and come feeling like powerful in that. Like we have, we have things that are important to the overall um, work that we're going to do together instead of, yeah, as you said, sort of um, in this, this more um, just receiving and, and not joining kind of way, then you can build something that really is like, you know, better than the sum of its parts or, you know, that has some, some value exchange and both partners are actual partners, not, you know, the company has the power and the charity is like, how can I, you know, morph myself into what they want, what I think they want.
1: If, if I was thinking about a don't, you know, if I was thinking about a a fundraiser who's sitting out in that I appreciate your use of the three lanes. If I'm thinking about that fundraiser, who sort of has developed a a comfort level of sort of existing in that lane one posture, I, I would probably suggest that. And if they were appealing to a corporate funder, no differently than they might appeal to you know any type of funder, they oftentimes sort of wear this in their language. They sort of wear marginalization. They sort of they they diminish who they are, not not explicitly in the sense that. That's who they exist in other places in the world, but it's like embedded in their language. I mean, is that something that you're when you're talking to a client? Are you sort of removing all that? Um, you know, we're the needy, we're this needy mm-hmm. shop who can't can't fix our own problems, and and you you have to sort of rush in and here and be our hero. Sort of is that what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You you've really you really got it. That you know, I think in order. You know, that, that's the hypothesis. If you understand your value instead of as like this needy organization, but as, you know, the organization that knows how to solve a problem that a company might be identifying as a problem they want to solve, right? Yeah. Or as the experts in, uh, you know, communicating with a, with a stakeholder group or representing a stakeholder, a, a group of people that you know this company wants to engage with like these are all things and you know i have a few um you know, sort of common areas of value in my mind that charities can contribute to but that's the thing that if you're used to this trends more transactional here's the need give us money for the need that does not um create a partnership scenario yeah you know you need to have a relationship and a dialogue and both parties have to come to the table saying, "I have value and things that I'm looking for, you have value in things that you're looking for, we have a conversation, and here's the the product of that conversation, and that's a partnership where the company is investing in the in the charity for sure, but there is uh, other outcomes that you know benefit both both groups.
1: Heather, if I'm talking to a corporate, f- so one of the things that when I, when I'm doing my road shows or we're doing a training with a client, for example, somebody will ask, you know, how do the three lanes, for example, apply to corporate funders or how do they apply to, um, uh, to, to private foundations, for example. And one of the things I'll oftentimes explain, Heather, is the idea that our tool is a, it's a sense making tool and sense making tools are oftentimes start with the first Principle or property of sense making is the idea of identity construction, and it's kind of the recognition that oftentimes, even if you're talking to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, when, when you're when you're talking to a corporate funder, a private foundation, or a major donor across a lunch table, the way they've constructed their identity, they're not first and foremost these these categories, right? They're they're not. The, the the corporate funder differently than the the major donor, differently the private foundation, are they first and foremost – I guess what I'm asking is, are they first and foremost a corporate funder, or are they just a human being that may really give a damn about what you're doing?
2: Uh it's an interesting comment because I, I do hear sometimes sort of this like companies are made up of people, therefore, yeah. you know, treat them like people. And yeah. there's a part of me that says, yes, that's true, right? Like yeah. we are you know we want to build a relationship with the person, and you know the best corporate partnerships are going to come out of you know two people you know building a relationship that you know at least on some level is like a professional um collegial relationship i I do agree that like, with that however uh there is in in the case of corporate, there is the like sort of a wrapping around that. There is the needs of the business and the identified priorities of the business. And there's the way the business makes decisions and all of those things that go into it that, you know, when we're thinking through how to do a discovery meeting and how to follow up and things like that it is quite different than it would be if it was an individual that you were dealing with. So there is, yes, there's this layer of relationship is super important and I call it relationship first corporate corporate fundraising when, when we talk about it, because I am, you know, encouraging the organizations to reach out and talk to a human and have a, a human to human dialogue and learn about that company and what it's trying to do and what its challenges are. So, you know, that part is relationship oriented. But we also have to remember that the way we follow up and the way um, that the person does have to keep into consideration a bunch of factors that may or may not be their personal passions. And so, you know, there is a bit of dealing, you know, sort of navigating that, um, that reality when you're doing corporate.
1: Is that because of where you sort of started the conversation, the idea that we sort of get wrapped up in this um, less than or that we don't have value, uh, you know, from from a corporate fundraising sort of standpoint, is that that pr- is that the primary weakness that you sort of see when organizations are approaching corporate funders? Or is there something else that sort of rises to the top? Is there you know, what, what's what's the next sort of thing that sort of says? um <clears throat> What's the next weakness in sort of the way that they're approaching this?
2: Um I think you know the the probably the most common weakness is um, is trying to immediately educate the 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 company or the person they're reach, uh, reaching out to about everything about their organization, right? That yeah. There's this uh, deep desire. They're often very passionate about the work, and so the first step is like, let me tell you everything about how you know how we accomplish the mission that we are, we're setting out to accomplish. And often that involves far too much programmatic detail and models and all kinds of things. And, you know, it is, you know, sort of my assertion that, you know, over time, many companies and particularly the person you're working with wants to know more about how you do what you do. But initially it's about how, what's the easiest entry point to, you know, to sort of get things going and then we can build from there. And so this sort of, um, yeah, you really need to understand everything about my charity before we can work together approach is one that we work hard to, to simplify down um, so that, yeah, so that we can invite, we can invite the company to have a conversation in a way that, um you know, has some levels of efficiency for the purposes of, of, you know, getting things going.
1: Is there an evolution that's sort of happening? Uh, We're seeing, I I think we're seeing, I I think we're definitely seeing sort of this constant awareness of the role that the corporation sort of plays in society. We're seeing, um, you know, they, they the you know whether whether the whether it's the CEO or the people that are navigating these relationships uh, with, uh, with with organizations that they tend to support. Are they receptive to that sort of conversation that you're talking about? To to put people first, to to not oversell the program, to put to put the conversation first. They also have to want to have that conversation.
2: That's right. Yeah. It's an interesting time, actually, in corporate partnership because we are seeing um, a bit of a shift. Right. So, you know, if we think about, you know, initially there was this sort of check recipient situation and then we moved into, you know, more and more companies defining their community investment priorities and, you know, maybe lightly um, having conversations and lightly involving themselves in the business business of what the charity was doing and certainly now we are seeing an increase in you know this purpose-led company companies that are more much more significantly investing in their um, community investment priorities they're you know being purpose-led you know there's more and more examples of this Um, there's a great book that's by Paul Klein called Change for Good which really talks about this you know movement from Mm -hmm corporate social responsibility light, or where we're just sort of, you know, starting to dabble into this, you know, much more um, deep investment in making purpose part of your company. And there's really, really good business reasons for that, many of which have to do with, you know, employee retention and loyalty data that we have, as well as customer data that we have in terms of, of that. So we're seeing the business case for that and that requires much much deeper knowledge at a company about the work of the charities and the causes that they're investing in. And so that's one of the reasons I I really assert that charities have more value than ever to yeah. the company because they're the experts, right? And you know, it's much more efficient to partner with the experts in these areas than to think that your, your company needs to become an expert right away itself, right? And so that's where, if, if you can get it right, I think those companies are spending time talking to, to um, experts in the space that they want to make a difference in. And if you're ready and understand your role in that, then you can have a, you know, a really rich conversation with, with those companies. Now, of course, it's not every company, but there's a lot, and we're seeing more and more.
1: That's interesting. I've never heard that. I've never heard anyone sort of formalize that that term, but I'm going to have to um, purpose led. So I have a Heather. I have a I teach a nonprofit course in the in the spring um, and I have my students. One of the one of the exercises that I have the students do at the beginning of the semester that. I've gotten probably of all the feedback that I've gotten from the class this happens to be the one that a lot of them enjoy the most and it's it's sort of moving they have to write an essay that moves them from thinking about passion to purpose and it's the idea that I you know I sort of distinguish at the beginning of the class I sort of have these two columns and I I describe sort of the the Steve Jobs non-sustainable sort of notion of of um of of passion which tends to be sort of the buzzword in our space sometimes and and I say, you know, what is what is sustainable? What's going to get you there? What's actually going to ultimately sort of achieve things is probably much more oriented towards having found this purpose. Um, it's interesting to hear you use that word. Are there a lot of purpose? Is that the type? Is that the type of corporate corporate funder we're looking for? Is the one that you know, it's not about sort of what they're passionate about this month and what they want to feel good about, but finding a corporate funder that is, is more purpose oriented towards something that is what you do. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. I mean, that is, that is where we want to start. You know, often when we're working with organizations and they're, they're trying to get this really long pipeline, right? How many companies can I get on my pipeline? Yeah. You know, how about we focus on like the ones that we really want you yeah. know and let, let's get some traction there and 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 not worry about all the rest for right now because you know uh you could have less partners, partnerships and have them be more meaningful and and working better than you know a whole ton that you know aren't really aligned and so you know that's why i say like starting with ones that are values aligned that have identified a purpose that also fits with your purpose uh, is a great a great place to to start. And, and then if you get past that, then we start talking about um, some of the other you know. There's different ways of of looking at your work through the lens of of the different types of thing um, purpose areas, I guess that that companies um, identify. But yeah, I mean, it would, be, it would be just a lot more enjoyable to have more of those sorts of partnerships in your organization than ones that feel, you know, very transactional, right, where the, where the alignment really isn't there. And there's lots of evidence that the, the partnerships that really work over time and that last are the ones that are based on some level of values alignment or identified, um, you know, area of focus, purpose and cause alignment.
1: You know, there was that, there was that, uh, the beginning of my career, I remember hearing that notion that oftentimes corporate fundraising, corporate, corporate support often comes through the sort of the marketing budget or the advertising budget. And it, it, I think that always sort of put a, a bad taste in my mouth when it comes to, you know, Corporate fundraising because it seemed like you were sort of commodifying and you were sort of packaging, almost getting back to some of your earlier comments. You're sort of packaging some component of what you were doing and you were selling it to a, uh, uh, to a corporation for, for, you know, as part of their marketing plan. Is, is that really true anymore or was that ever true to begin with?
2: yeah I mean, I think there are instances where um you know a company is trying to uh, do something in the marketing space and having a charitable partner you know adds visibility, impressions yeah. engagement, yeah, so then the question is, you know, is that a bad or good thing? Yeah. <laughs> and I think what we're seeing now is that that can be a good thing if you are the charitable partner. If you um do you, do your homework enough to know is this company invested in this in your cause beyond that campaign, right? And so we are, you know, consumers are getting smarter and smarter, right? They're no longer interested in a charity being attached to a campaign and then have the company do nothing else related to that cause. That maybe was okay, when we were first testing out these ideas. But now if you are going to you know, align your company brand with a charitable cause in the, in the public, in, in a marketing campaign, yeah. then you need to be doing some work internally at your company as well. You need to be making other investments as well. It needs to be an authentic decision to invest in that cause. And if so, then I think that that marketing partnership can be a really good thing, right? It can, it can raise the visibility of that charitable organization. It can bring more support. It can bring more um, visibility to the cause that you care about. So those are all good outcomes, but it would feel like to me, it's, it's, you know, we're looking for authenticity and transparency in how these companies are investing in those causes. And if it's just a marketing play, then, you know, we're seeing, you know, consumers and employees push back on that and say, "You know what? We're not here for that." So, you know, uh, th- that's the evolution of what you describe from you know the first the first nugget of those ideas of, "Oh, hey, you know, there's something there's something here." When we market and and partner with a charity, we you know that, that's a good thing from a marketing and visibility perspective. To now, where you know, back to this sort of purpose and and being more authentic around what you as a company are investing in, you know, it has to go, it has to go deeper than that. We we expect more than that.
1: Heather, you recently had a conversation. I, it it certainly caught my attention because you were making some comments. This was a conversation you initiated, um, on LinkedIn about, uh, when the person that you're interacting, the, the, the sort of the agent of the corporate funder sort of moves. And I have stirred up some emotions in some of my conversations about this. Uh, this notion of longevity and how people don 't stick around and 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 we all know we all know where the challenges are, both in sort of the constant movement of of fundraisers, but it just seems to me and i 'm interested in sort of how that dialogue sort of played out and what your thoughts are i mean i 'm pushing for when I think about uh, the the advice that i 'm sort of pushing out there, regardless of some of the um resistance that i 'm getting. You know, if we can't get people on both sides of the exchange to sort of stick around longer, um, I I don't know that we're ever going to get to some of the aspirations you and I might have for for, you know, people centered purpose for, you know, some of the things that we're talking about. I don't know if we're ever going to get there. People won't stick around. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it absolutely does and and definitely the turnover on both sides of this equation yeah. is is a real challenge and you know having being a person that was at you know my previous before I started Bridge Race I was at that organization for 7 years um, which is a pretty long time in, in 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 fundraising land and that allowed me to see a number of huge partnerships through from like nuggets of an idea through to you know multi-million dollar partnerships and that could not have happened without me staying and like solving a problem and like trying it again and you know and over time we got to some really great conversations and places and and that took time and so I do you know I do think it is so important to have longevity in these roles and uh, it is tremendously difficult when that doesn't happen because you know you can really be creating a really valuable opportunity for the charity and the, and the company and then you know the person leaves and it falls apart and and so I do you know I I'm very mindful of this as we're building these kinds of. Um, um, outreaches to try to make sure we have multiple points of entry and like we're copying different people on things and and inviting more employees and people on the team into the conversation as much as we can uh, to avoid that happening but the reality is um, that it is it is you know it is a big a big challenge it is yeah. something that gets in our way um, for sure.
1: Yeah, and it it would seem like the longer we stick around I mean I have to imagine uh, being this being in the space that you're in you have probably seen corporate funders who stay in their seat longer whose career you know whose whose quality of life and work experience and relationships have been greatly enhanced because they developed a depth of understanding about who their the you know the, the 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 people that they fund um i have to imagine there's got to be sort of some e- enormous benefits from that side of the table as well that you know the more you get to know the people that you choose to support the more it the more you really make sense of what it is you're doing if you're on the corporate side am i right
2: yeah i mean there is actual data that shows that especially you know that any kind of employee engagement volunteer it, you know, activity between a company and a charity is good for employee retention. But when we get up into the, um, like, skills base, which is what even more you're talking about, where the, you know, the company, the person at the company is really invested and is learning and and growing, you know, that um, we're seeing 30% higher than their peers in, in terms of employee retention, which really does sort of speak to this fact that not only... Are they um learning from that? I, I do believe that the people who are working on the corporate side um who are are really invested in the in, in these partnerships. And that's back to your question earlier about like are we working with the person or the company? Like this is where we're working with the person, right? They're you know, one of the things I talk about to, like good corporate partnerships, you're always thinking about how you steward the company and how you steward. A few of your key contacts right because they are themselves passionate about this project happening and when that happens it's going to be a better partnership and you're going to ultimately get more investment in your organization and in more different ways and they're going to find like these other pockets of money or pockets of opportunity in their company for your charity because they want it to be successful and that is great when that happens. And then of course, like the company has its, you know, its needs and what, how it's identified this partnership within its you know, ecosystem. And you need to, you know, you're sort of responding to that as well. So both of these things, you know, can be true and should be true at the same time. Uh, and it is, um, yeah, it's a real pleasure. I mean, I think about, you know, I am still at this call. I was at a conference last week and I was seeing people who I have worked with on corporate partnerships for, you know, 15 years or more. And, you know, we're still in touch. And, and it's, it's that, you know, that we made a we made something happen that was important and felt good and, you know, had impact. And, you know, that sticks with you.
1: So I had a previous guest, uh, the conversation airs at the, on the same day that we're recording this conversation and, and, he, and he was talking about, he's, a um, he's talking about generosity becoming a lifestyle and a practice. And it occurs to me that perhaps you've seen or heard stories of where, when a, when a company decides to be a corporate sponsor of a, of a, of a particular cause, you know, they, they begin to kind of like you and I were were exposed to the idea of the nonprofit sector and what fundraising was and unaware, perhaps you've got examples of, um, you know, where, you know, the HR department or the accounting department didn't really know that these causes exist. And all of a sudden they sort of they sort of instill this spirit of generosity and gratitude, and they are able to sort of teach this to their people, and maybe not necessarily persuade them all to give to that particular cause, but they're, they're instilling that value, I guess is what I'm saying. They're sort of training up their people to be more generous. Do you see that happening, where the, where the people who you are interacting with, who are doing the funding, also utilize it as a way to teach their employees, their broader company, to be generous people? Does that make sense?
2: yeah yeah I mean, I think that we're seeing uh you know that many companies one component of their overall you know strategy is how to um, include their employees in the campaign cause yeah. that, that they um have chosen. We also see companies and a lot of them that uh, have programs that are all about valuing whatever volunteer and giving you do as an individual. Like this is a pretty pop, common practice that, you know, matching gift programs where you match whether it, you know, whether it's the volunteer hours that people put in or the giving that they're doing. Uh, so that, I mean, that is very, that's pretty common at companies. And then when we layer on top of that, you know, how, The company itself can provide opportunities for volunteerism or opportunities for giving, you know, make it easy for for the employees to participate. I mean, these are all things that are kind of part of, you know, a fulsome program at a company where, you know, where they're really committed to to the cause that they have they have invested in. And that can and that's where you sort of think about what are all the different ways that you can that your charity might benefit Well, they might benefit from employee giving as well as company giving as well as being included in a campaign sometime. And so, you know, when we see these fulsome partnerships, we we can see that happening where there's, you know, kind of investment from from all these different places. And I do think that many of those companies put, um, including their employees in the you know, so spirit of, of support and investment and volunteerism into that um, equation.
1: So I have to imagine a lot of the people who, uh, so we lose, this is, this will be my last question. I'm really, I don't want to okay. keep you going for too long. We lose our listeners about 45 minutes in, and I, I, I don't want to hesitate to ask this question. So I have to imagine that a lot of the clients that you work with are probably, those small shops that have one development officer, right? They got one fundraiser on the staff. So how are you saying to that, perhaps that young fundraiser, 18 months in, they want to hold on to this job, you know, corporations is part of this sort of this myriad of responsibilities. What what sort of advice are you giving that young man or that young woman who's saying, I want to stick with this and corporations is part of the mix? What are you saying to them?
2: Well, uh, one of the things I'm saying is that uh, we want to be consistent, but not, like, not overdue. So back to, you know, this sort of idea of, you know, we don't need a really long list and a really long list of tasks that go with it. Let's focus on a few companies that really make sense and, like, each week do a little bit towards getting a, a good partnership in place. Right. And, and that's when we work with a someone who's got it as a little bit of their portfolio. You know, we figure out ways to, um, you know, make what the amount of work is proportional to the amount of time they have. And it's much better used to, you know, do enough research, start, reaching out and have a conversation with a small number than to have research on a whole bunch and, and never get to, you know, sort of the conversation. Um, And then, you know, part of obviously my, my business model is helping make their time efficient. We believe that the relationships have to sit in the organization. Um, So what are the, who, where are the places that you can access, you know, research, you know, support on your messaging, those kinds of things so that, the relationship is the part that really becomes the focus of the organization of that fundraiser, right? They're, they're doing the outreach, they're having the conversations, they're building the relationship with the organization and, you know, maybe outsourcing some of those other tasks that don't need to be done by them.
1: That's fascinating. I, I really appreciate that, Heather. One of the things in that, in that centermost lane, the third lane, we call it the critical few. And there's always that, I think in many ways you and I are describing two very similar groups of, and, and I, I keep thinking back to that notion of the purpose led. If you could find the purpose led corporations who sort of represent that critical few for whom you're going to build those meaningful relationships and uh, presumably sustainable relationships with, and 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 also you're probably going to learn the most from that. So if we're still talking to that 26, 28 year old young corporate fundraiser, that's probably the most sort of teaching. You know, they're not going to learn nearly as much if those relationships are constantly turning over and if they're not purpose led and they're sort of, um, am I right?
2: That yeah, absolutely, exactly. Like I think. It's just way better for the organization to spend more of that, you know, precious time on those few relationships that will translate into bigger revenue, more learning, you know, all of those positive things. It does require somebody to be asking questions and listening and responding as opposed to like, you know creating a thing all on their own and sending it in and hoping for a check so it is a more you know collaborative there's more you know of a feedback loop involved there's more listening and asking questions which you know i talk about a lot like you know don't plan a bunch of stuff let's ask let's ask some questions first and and then and and then decide what needs to you know needs to be framed out Um, yeah so that you know that's what gets a good relationship that's what creates. a good partnership and like less is more really in this case, right? Like if you have a few that, you know, are are bigger investments, that is much better than trying to get a whole bunch of transactional ones, which each year you're starting from scratch, right? And you're trying again to, to see if you're going to be one of the lucky ones that gets the, you know, spontaneous small check in response to like a, you know, an email with an attachment or filling out a a portal or something.
1: Heather, we, we lose our listeners at 45 minutes in. So we're going to wrap up here. Um, the, the way I always like to wrap up with individuals like yourself who help clients, who is that individual you want to help and um, or most likely hear from? You, usually the my guests here, people in your seat hear more feedback than, than I necessarily do. Um, so um, who do you want to hear from and how do they find you?
2: Well, thanks. Uh, I have a website www.bridgeraise.com. As you've already said, I am on LinkedIn. I'm there very regularly. I welcome followers. It is Nelson, Heather, when you type it in. Um, And I would love to have any of your listeners join me. They can ask me questions there. Um, Who do I want to hear from? Well, I would like to hear from people who are doing corporate fundraising, doing corporate partnerships, who need someone in their corner, right? Like I... You know, Bridge Raise, we really encourage. We, you know, this is about being a cheerleader, leveraging your strengths. It might be somebody who wants to strengthen their pipeline or needs a corporate strategy. Uh, but it's really about the people who want to do what I'm talking about, like build relationships to get good get money and 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 want some help doing that. And um I love talking to those people.
1: Heather, it has certainly been a pleasure. I apologize that it has taken us so long to convene this coffee conversation here. Um, I look forward to at some point being in the same room where we can share a coffee, cup of coffee in person. Um, in the meantime, you're always welcome back.
2: Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure.